Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. 1865, the United States Secret Service was formed. Now, now, when you think of Secret Service, possibly you're thinking of the people that protect the president. Am I right? Maybe you, is, am I right? Got some good, thank you. Um, you may think of people dressed in dark suits who drive in black Suburbans, and maybe you see them around an important event, and what, what generally happens is you see them talking to their sleeve, right? And uh, I've done some research, and I found out what they're saying as they talk in their sleeve. And what they're saying is, can you please bring me some more Skittles? Um, just a joke. Uh, that didn't really happen. But, 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 but the Secret Service was formed not to, just, not to protect the president. That wasn't the original intent of the Secret Service. The Secret Service was formed to combat counterfeiting. To combat counterfeiting. In 1865, one out of every three bills and coins was counterfeit. One out of every three was counterfeit. You can imagine what that does to an economy. And so they formed, to, formed this, this agency in order to find out, in order to determine and uncover all the counterfeit bills that were floating through the financial system of the United States. And so in order to help uh, agents understand more about what and, and how to find out what was counterfeit, they didn't teach them to be experts in counterfeit money. They actually taught them to be experts in real currency. And so, for instance, I have a $100 bill up here. It may or may not be real. I don't know. Uh, one of you students want to come tell me? Um, yeah, that was quick. Um, the ones who are going into college are like, yes, me. And so if you, had a, if you had a bill, the first thing that you would do, there's four steps. The first step is to touch it, to feel it. Because currency is not made out of paper. It's made out of this cotton base. It's more of a cloth than it is paper, so you'd feel the texture, the nuances of it, and you'd be able to experience it and to touch it. The next thing that you would do would be to hold it up to the light a little bit and to look at the different color gradations that happen because bills in all, all over the world have built in different color changes that happen when you hold them up to the light. Uh, another thing you do would you, you would look at it and you would be sure that it had all the right logos and all the right words and all the right signatures on both sides in order to just verify that it was legitimate. And then, and then finally what you do is you hold it up to the light. Have you ever been to the grocery store and you had someone hold your money up to the light? You know what they're saying to you? They think you're counterfeit. That's what they're saying to you. But you hold it up to the light because there's certain things that you can see, watermarks and lines and different denominations that you can see that will help you understand if it is real. Now, now, it would be a disaster for you to have counterfeit money. Think about how our, our lives are built around finances or built around the money that we spend. So, for instance, um, I believe today the cover charge was $100. Am I right? So you paid $100 to get in today. Some of you are like, I missed that. That was awesome. Um, when you go to lunch today, you're going to use money to, to buy your lunch. When you pay bills, the places where you stay, the clothes that you wear, it requires us to have a currency that is valuable. We have to have a currency that is real. We have to have a currency that's authentic. And the truth is, we don't want just our currency to be valuable. We want our lives to be valuable, don't we? We want to know that we spend our lives in a way that's going to matter. We want to know that the things that we're investing in, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our energy, that it's going to actually matter. That when we get to the end, we're going to look back and say, that was worth it. That was valuable. We didn't, we didn't waste it on something that didn't have any value at all. And the truth is, currency has value in our financial system, right? But, but, but we want something that has value in our life system, 
in every system, in every area that we live in. And we know that Jesus is the answer to that question. We know that in Jesus we have value in every system. We know that Jesus is who brings purpose to life. He gives us clarity about our future. We know that he gives us hope when we go through difficult times and strength to hold us up during times where we're feeling weary and worn down. We know that Jesus is the person that gives us that. Now, now we're really passionate around here about helping people move from a Sunday faith to a Monday through Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday faith. So, so how many days a week is this bill worth $100? Seven days would be the right answer. Very good. Whoever said that, come get this. No, I'm kidding. Um, every day, this bill is worth $100. Every single day. And we believe that faith should be the same way. That it should be something that we live each and every day. That something that's going to impact us and how we make decisions, how we see the world, how we read the news, how we watch entertainment, how we take it all in. Like That Jesus is going to have impact over that. Now, now there's a lot of different people in the group today. Some of you just moved into town and you're looking for a church home. You're like, well, what kind of church is this? Well, Well, hopefully today you'll be able to answer that question. And some of you... For whatever reason, you've been going through maybe a difficult time. You have some decisions in front of you. Maybe you're feeling some chaos or some confusion. Um, maybe you've gotten some bad news. You got a phone call that gave you some news that you're not really sure how to handle. And you think maybe, just maybe, the church can help. And some of you have been coming here a while and you're getting back into the routine and the reality of getting back to school. And, and sometimes you may ask and invite somebody to church and they'll say, what kind of church is that? And so we want to be able to answer that question today. You should, you should ask yourself, like, what's in this for me? Like, what's in it for me? What does Jesus have to do with my life and my world and my reality? So we want to unpack that today. So we're going to start in the Bible. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's, a, it's kind of over towards the end of the Bible. It's um, Philippians chapter 2. It's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. How many of you have ever written a letter from prison? Like, nobody's going to raise your hand, even if you have. Um, Paul wrote this from prison, and Paul had a very clear understanding of who Jesus was. This is one of the classic passages about the supremacy and the authority of Jesus. And so I'm just going to kind of read through the whole passage. I'm going to start at the end and work my way back up to the beginning. So watch as uh, it says in verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what he means by that is, though, even though if you were to see Jesus before he was born in the flesh, that he's always existed, that he was part of creating everything that has been created. And that he, even though he was God and he was on the throne and he was in power, he, he didn't look at that as something to be held on to, something to be gained by overpowering people. It says... It goes on to say what he, what he did think. It says he was found, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. This is a Christmas story. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is the Easter story, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so the first thing that you see, just on a, just a surface reading of that passage, is that we see Paul is saying that Jesus over everything. He's saying Jesus over everything. 
Like in everything means everything. And, and as he talks about um, kind of the name of Jesus, he starts with this word, therefore. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, there's a simple question. Let's go back to that passage. Whenever you see the word therefore, what you should ask yourself is, what is it therefore, right? So what is it therefore? He's just unpacked this idea that Jesus emptied himself. What is it therefore? So what he's saying is because he poured his life out, because he uh, emptied himself, he said God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, all this should happen. Now, now, as we just unpack a little bit about names, we know names are important, aren't we? Like when somebody remembers your name, don't you love them? But when they forget your name, you just write them off because they don't care about you, right? Like we, we know that names are important. Dale Carnegie said that, that the sweetest sound in any language is a person's name. We know that names are important. They, 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 they show value. It, it reminds me of the story about the kindergartner, who, the little girl who goes to kindergarten for the very first day, and she gets uh, a name tag, and she puts it around on her lanyard around her neck, and it's got her name, and she's so proud of the first name tag she's had, and she goes out to recess, and she's playing, and while she's playing, it gets turned around, and it's behind her, and so she can't see, see it, and she thinks she's lost it, and she runs into the teacher. She says, teacher, teacher, I lost my price tag. Aww. And we understand that names are valuable. And names throughout history have been valuable. They've meant something. They've been, they, we, we know important names from history. You can start with you know, Caesar to Alexander the Great or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela or Teddy Roosevelt or Abraham Lincoln. Like There are names that we know that are really important. Names matter. And so when we understand what the name of Jesus means, Paul's trying to unpack this for us. And when he uses the word above, it's got a few nuances that we really need to understand. And the first one means that it's superior, right? It's first. It's the most important name. It's at the top of the list. It's not in alphabetical order. It starts with Jesus and goes from there. Like when he says that his name is above every name, his name is superior to every other name in history. If you think about how we even mark time, how is it marked? B.C. and A.D., because it's marked by Jesus. Jesus has been on the cover of more magazines than anybody in history. Why is that? Because his name is superior to any other name. It's above every single name. He is ultimate value. Like in Ephesians, Paul writes it uh, the same thing like this. Paul writes Ephesians, says Christ is above all rule and authority. So just think about this for a minute. He's, he's above all rule and authority. So our authority in, in the United States, we have, you know, mayors and Governors and presidents, he's above all that. So guess what this means? If he's above all ruling authorities, my politi our political system doesn't affect me every day. I know that somebody else is in control. When I read about the chaos that's happening and the, and the tension in our country, doesn't mean it's not real. Certainly it is. But I don't have to get bogged down in it, and I don't have to obsess over it by watching news stations to wonder what's happening or looking at Twitter to see what's going to go on today. Because why? His name's far above every authority and rule. Somebody should say amen right there. Let's go. And power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, right, the age that we have right now, 2019, but in the age to come, the one that's coming down the road, the one that we'll all experience, his name's going to be first even in that age. He goes on to say he's put all things under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is head of the church, but eventually he's going to be head over everything because everyone's going to understand that. His name is superior to any other name that we could follow. Listen, and if Jesus' name is superior, guess what that means for me? I live to a higher standard. I hold myself to a higher standard because I live under the banner of Jesus. Listen, when I want to get aggravated or frustrated with somebody, guess what I do? I remind myself that there's a higher standard I live to. When news comes at me that will make me want to feel off kilter, guess what I remind myself? I hold myself to a higher standard. When the stock market drops 800 points because of the inverted yield curve, you know what I do? I worry for a second. Then... Then I remind myself that God's the one who's in charge of my finances. When I wake up every morning, I orient my life around what God wants by reminding myself through reading his words that God has a plan for me, that God has got me, that God's name is higher. He's the one that I serve. I'm not serving anybody else but him. His number is superior. Let's go. His number is superior. His name is superior. Here's another really cool nuance to this word. When it says above, it means that it means that he's it means that he's standing over you to protect you. So usually when we see someone standing over someone else, someone else, what is it? It's in victory. I beat you. I defeated you. I used to do this to my kids all the time. Don't get up. I win. Right? I'm in victory over you. You're in submission to me. I'm in charge of you. I'm dominating you. This is not the image we have. He's standing over us to pick us up, to deliver us to safety. Someone who's down, who's hurt, who's weak, who can't move, who can't get up, who can't do anything for themselves. Jesus reaches down and picks them up and delivers them to safety. You know what that means for me? He's for people. I'm for people. I can be for people. You know what people I can be for? The same people he was for, which is all people. Jesus was for all people. Didn't matter your race, your age, your gender, your social status. Didn't matter your behavior or your orientation. It didn't mean that everything that we do is acceptable to God, but it does mean that he understands that he can transform us from what we were to what he has created us to be. And that no matter where we are or what we think or what we believe, God has got us in a transformation process. And the power that he has, that the name is above every name, that means that he will be in charge of getting me where I need to be. And so for my role in that, tomorrow morning when I wake up, listen, I'm for people. Why is it that we live in a country where we disagree so we have to not like each other? Like, why is it that when we have different belief systems and understandings about life and politics and, and spirituality and finances that we have to be against each other? I'm not saying that we don't need to express our difference in, in ways, but because, just because we have a different belief system doesn't mean we can't be friends. Come on. I am for people. So when I see someone who needs help, I'm not asking, who'd you vote for in the last election? I'm not asking what stocks they're invested in. I'm asking, how can I help you? How can I help you? See, he was standing, that image we have is him standing over. We are, we're four people. That's the kind of people God wants us to be. 
His name is superior. We have a higher standard. He, he, he came for people. That's the kind of people we, we should be. Then check this out. It says this, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like this is going to be an involuntary response. This can be an involuntary response. Like you won't have an option. Like there are certain things in life that are involuntary, right? Certain things that we do that just happen overnight. Like watch, I'm going to show you this, this picture real quick. Oh, so you couldn't help it. Involuntary response. Everybody in the room is like, oh, so cute. We showed that a couple of weeks ago. It's just a baby. I'm just saying. Um, jokes, jokes, gorgeous baby. But we have these involuntary responses. You know, think about some of the involuntary responses that you have. Like when, when, when your team wins, what do you do? Come on, right? Just happens. Like he didn't even know if it, what team I'm talking about. But if you win, whoop, let's go, right? That's me. I'm like, my hands go up in the air. Like I'm, we win. It's an involuntary response. It's just something that we naturally do. Man, it's because it's involuntary. Like when you're driving down the road and you see a policeman, what do you do? You hit the stop, you hit your brakes, right? Because it's just involuntary response. So here's what's going to happen. There's coming a day, there's coming a time in history when this is going to happen. Jesus is coming back. This is happening right here. Every knee will bow. Guess whose knee's going to bow? Mine's going to bow. Yours is going to bow. Donald Trump's is going to bow. Osama bin Laden's going to bow. Mother Teresa's going to bow. Billy Graham's going to bow. Everybody is going to bow. So here's what you want to do. You want to be sure you're bowing in worship and not in fear. Right? You want to be sure that you have oriented your life in such a way that his name is above every name. Listen, this is something I do every morning. When I get up in the morning, I go down and I'm having some time with the Lord. And I just, I naturally, as I begin to orient my life, I'm like, hey, you're in charge. Your name's above every name. And it just makes me just bow just a little bit. Like, I think we, our lives would all be better if we would do this every day. Don't you? Just bow. Remind yourself who's in charge. Remind yourself who loves you. Remind yourself who has got you. We we're all going to bow. Listen, we're all going to bow. This is what's going to happen. It's an involuntary response at the end of time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, this is, this is what is good for us. This is why we have value. It's because he has given us value. His name is first. It's highest. His name is the name above every other name. This is why if you were to ask Hey, what, what kind of church are you? What kind of church is that? We would just say, we're a Jesus church. We just make it easy. Like, I'm just not that smart. And so the easier, the better. So, so, so uh, many of us grew up in different denominations. Many of us grew up in different denominations and churches were called different things. How, how many of you grew up, maybe you were you're Methodist? Four of you. Okay. First service had all the Methodists. I guess they come early. Catholic. All the Catholics come to 11 o'clock mass. <laughs> hey, quick story. This wasn't on the script, but I'm going to tell it anyway, right? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? So um, there was, when we, when we used to meet back in the community center, um, we had, you know, a loud band and all that stuff, and we met in the community center. And there was a lady who started attending our church, gave her life to Christ, and her mom moved, uh, came to visit her from Boston. And she was Catholic. Like, when I say she was Catholic, she was Northeastern Catholic. You Catholics know what I mean, right? Somebody say, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so she comes in, and our mom was, couldn't see very well. And she comes in, she puts her in a seat, and, and they sit down. And all of a sudden, the band kicks in. The mom turns to the daughter and says, what kind of church is this? What would you say the name of this church is? And the daughter, quick on her feet, turned to her and said, St. Stone Creek. 
True story. True story. So that's us. If you need to use that, go right ahead. We'll print some letterhead for you, Saint Stone Creek. Um, how many of you maybe grew up Presbyterian? Yeah, not too many of you guys. Um, how, how about Baptists? Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Somebody's cheering for that. That's a first. Uh, I grew up Baptist. Um, so, so, so we have all these different denominations, and then, and then you take those, even Baptists, right? There's American Baptists, Southern Baptists, and Northern Baptists, and Primitive Baptists, and Missionary Baptists, and uh, I Can Drink Baptists. There's all these different kind of Baptists. <laughs> what? There's all these different kind of Baptists. We got all these divisions, right? That's why we say, hey, we just want to make it easy. We're a Jesus church. Listen, it doesn't mean we don't have theology. It doesn't mean we don't have strong beliefs and high standards. But it means that we want to stay focused on the main thing. Now, now, here's the thing. Some of you are theologically inclined. You read theology. You read about, you know, kind of the nuances of theological history. And I want to talk to you for just about 30 seconds. The rest of you, um, you don't have to listen to this. Just check, check your text or something while I talk. I, I understand Trinitarian theology. You're, you're asking, like, well, what about God the Father? And what about God the Holy Spirit? Matt, I totally understand that. Totally believe in that. Um, we have a very, what we would call, mainstream belief around what the Trinity, who the Trinity is, that, that God is three in one, that God exists in community, that God, um, the Father, sent the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that God's presence is active with us through the Holy Spirit. But I just want to ask you a question. If someone asks you what kind of church you are, what kind of church you go to, what kind of church is Stone Creek, do you want to really get into, well, we're a Trinitarian believing pneumatological stance on the Father who is the God, part of the Godhead and the Son who communicates well with him and the Holy Spirit who is the active presence in our life who helps us to learn how to pray and to baptize us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, do you really want to say that? Or do you want to say, hey, we're a Jesus church, just come check it out? So this is, this is kind of where we land. If you want to know what kind of church, we're, we're a Jesus church. Now, what does that mean? Um, we've talked about a few things, but let's, let's, let's look at how Jesus lived this out in his own life. You know, is it, it talks about, we're supposed to have the mind that Jesus had. and God is highly exalted. Let's go back to verse 5. Real, yeah, here we go. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, right? He's the form of God. He is God. He's got power. He's in charge. Bible says he could have called legions of angels to rescue him from the cross. Legions would be in the billions. Okay, So he, he's got some authority. He didn't count equality. He didn't count this, this power of God, something to be held on to, something to be reached for, something to strive for. But he emptied himself out. So what, it, what he's saying here, just in layman's terms, is that Jesus didn't power up. Right? Jesus didn't power up. Now, we get powering up in our culture. It's how you have value. The more power you have, the more valuable you are. And the way that you get power is by powering up on people. There's, this, there's a TED Talk by Amy Cuddy, and she talks about power posing. Some of you have seen this. And power posing would put forth this idea that you take certain poses, it makes you feel more powerful. And so one of her poses is what she calls the Wonder Woman. You do this for two minutes. Your adrenaline increases, your cortisol decreases. So I just want you to watch me for two minutes. <laughs> you see me in the back doing this before I come in, right? We want to feel powerful. The bigger we make ourselves, the more valuable we feel because the more powerful we feel. 
And, and, and we like to power up. So in the movie Hitch, how many of you have seen Hitch? All the Catholics and Methodists. It was not rated R Baptist. You can see it. <laughs> that was one of the things I couldn't do as a kid. Um, but I did anyway, just for the record. Um, in Hitch, you, you may remember the story that Will Smith is Hitch, and he is, he is hired by men who need help in uh, getting the attention of someone they want to marry. And he just wants to help them develop this relationship. And so he's sitting across the table from a, a potential customer, and Hitch wants nothing to do with him. The guy is like low class, and, um, and so Hitch is going to get up from the table to leave. And what does the guy do? He grabs his arm, and he says, you see what I'm doing right now? This is what I'm about. Power suit, power tie, power steering. That's what he says, because that's how we power up on people. We dominate them. We exert some authority physically to power up on people. And this is what it looks like. This is what animals do in the animal kingdom. If you ever watch a bird fighting another bird, they make themselves look really big in order to come across as powerful. Did you know that this is a technique you're to use when, you're, uh, when you encounter a black bear? Like I, uh, in the, the woods behind my house, I go, run, I go jogging, trail running, and They've seen a bear back there. And so I have to look up now, do I make myself smaller or bigger for a black bear? Because the brown bear is different, right? But for a black bear, you make yourself as big as possible. So this morning I'm out running, I see the bear, I make myself really, really big. Just kidding, that didn't happen. Because I'm a, I got a pocket knife, I'm gonna kill that thing. <laughs> All that to say, we like to power up on people. See, think about his parents. We power up on our kids. Have you ever done this? I'm going to count to three. One, two, don't you make me come in there. We power up. We power up on people out in, you know, people we encounter who don't do the things we want to do. Have you ever been at the airport during a rain delay? Gone to the Delta ticket agent. Seen people powering up on that agent as if she can change the weather. Maybe it's in a restaurant. We, we power up on people. We, we try to exert authority. We try to exert control. Listen, Jesus could have powered up. Of anybody who has power, it would be Jesus. We know that it says that, 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 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Everything that was created was created through him, by him, and for him. Like He could power up. And when there was a storm that was threatening his friends, he calmed the storm. I don't think anybody here can do that. When, when someone was broken and paralyzed and their body didn't work, Jesus would reach down and heal them. He, he didn't power up on them and say, what would you do wrong? Jesus could have powered up. And I think that many people feel like that's what God is like. That God just wants to power up on them, wants to manipulate them, wants to punish them, wants to control them, wants to discipline them doesn't really care about them, that he's arbitrary and just wants to power up on them. But what we read from the story of Jesus is that's not who he was. And this is what people need to know. People need to know a Jesus that loves them, that stands over them to protect them, that, that is for people, not against people. When the world is against people, they need to know that Jesus is for them. This is the Jesus that we serve. You see, Jesus didn't power up. You know what Jesus did? Jesus poured out. Jesus poured out. It goes on to say in, that, in those same verses that he emptied himself. Emptied himself. Poured himself out. 
Just like I could pour out this bottle of water, just like you would pour out a cup of, of water in the sink or a bucket of water, just like your kids pour out your bank account, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is what he looked like. Jesus poured himself out. This is the Christmas story that he came to be with us, and it's the Easter story because he died for us. Ultimately gave his life so that we could have life. Jesus poured out. Now, now, now think about him becoming human. This is God becoming human. What do you not like about being human? Like, what, what do you not like about being human? I don't like getting tired. I don't like aches and pains. Like, I don't mind that my hair is turning gray and turning loose. I do mind that they make the print so much smaller these days. <laughs> I don't like that. And I don't like being lonely. I don't like, I don't like feeling like I'm misunderstood. This is what Jesus volunteered for. Jesus is in heaven, in control, can call the shots, in charge. His name's above every name, yet he volunteered to be lonely and abandoned and abused and misunderstood and rejected by people that he loved. He poured himself out, became a servant. You know, Jesus gave up his rights. Jesus had the right to to call the shots. He had the right to make life different. He had the right to not go to the cross. Like he had the rights. But sometimes if we're going to pour ourselves out, guess what we need to do? We need to give up our rights sometimes. We need to quit feeling entitled. We need to quit feeling like somebody devalued us because they didn't let us go first or we didn't get our turn or we, were, we, didn't, we didn't get that promotion and we were in line for it or we didn't get that bonus and we were in line for it or, or somebody didn't let us in in traffic. You know, sometimes... We need to give up our rights. We see, we see this example in his life at every turn. Jesus never claimed his rights as God. Like there's this one cool story that as he's in, in, uh, nearing the end of his life, and he's got just a few more moments with his closest friends who are going to take the movement into the future. He knew that he had just a few more words with them. So they gather for their last meal together. And when they gather together, <clears throat> In that culture, you know, they, they would have someone to wash your feet. Because think about it. They walk either barefooted or in Birkenstocks. You can pick up some pretty nasty E. coli on the bottom of your feet if you're walking around like that. And the way that they ate is they would recline. And so literally you'd have somebody's feet in your face when you were eating. So they had somebody who would wash feet. And that person was always the lowest of the low. I mean, like, who really wants to wash feet, you know? It's lowest of the low. Jesus shows up, the most important person in the room, the leader in the room, his last chance with his friends, and there's nobody to wash feet. Now, now, if it's me, you know what I'm doing? I'm delegating that. Hey, hey, Peter, we gotta have somebody wash feet. Go, don't you have a cousin or something? Like, go, go get somebody to handle this. What does Jesus do? Starts washing feet. Does it himself. Pours himself. It doesn't claim his rights. It doesn't say I'm entitled. It doesn't say I've got more important things to do. Jesus. Gives up his rights. You know, a friend of mine says this. Sometimes you got to give up your right to be right in order to be close. How many of you that are married today, you got in an argument? Because <laughs> you were right. And did it really matter that you were right? And, and if you're thinking, yeah, it did, you do not get the point. You don't have to be right all the time. 
You don't have to be right. Jesus gave up his rights. Another thing he gave up was his religion. Like, I love this story. You know how religions will build rules that you have to follow so you can fit in? Like some of you, when I was calling out your denomination, you know that there's certain rules that you guys followed and certain things that you did because you were part or Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever. There's certain things that you did. And that happens in every religion. So one of the things that happened in Jesus' religion is that there was this rule that if anyone had leprosy, right? If anyone had leprosy, then you could not touch them. Now, the reason why you wouldn't touch them is because you could get infected. You could actually catch leprosy. And it is a debilitating, gross, terrible disease, right? And, and what happens is your fingers begin to fall off and you can't feel pain. So you could burn yourself, you could cut off a limb, and you wouldn't even feel it. And so your body begins to deteriorate, and they couldn't be touched. That move from being a, you could get infected to a, they are less than. They are not valuable. And so the religious rule was you can't touch lepers because you are superior, because you have the right religion. So Jesus shows up, and there's a leper. And you can only imagine what Jesus did. Touches him. Touches the place where his fingers have been cut off and mangled and gnarly. Touches his face where his nose was probably removed and his ears had begun to deteriorate. Touches him and he's healed. And so all of a sudden, religiously, he's unclean. He's on the outskirts. But, but, but Jesus didn't care. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. And the truth is, if we're going to be a people, if you're going to be a people that pours your life out like Jesus... God, be willing to get your hands dirty. There's some people that you're going to need to encounter and engage that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't believe like you. They are dirty. Man, they are nasty. They don't dress right. They don't believe right. They don't vote right. But God's going to put you in their life so that you can have impact over them. Like Sometimes, sometimes you got to give up your religion in order to pour out like Jesus did. He gave up his rights, gave up his religion. You know, Jesus also gave up his reputation. He also gave up his reputation. There's this time where he, uh, he goes to dinner at a Pharisee's house, like the, the, the really important religious leaders in the, in the city. And he goes to dinner, and there's all these important people, kind of the who is of, of this particular city. And as they come in, Jesus sits down to eat. And when he sits down to eat, a prostitute comes in. Like, how did they all know she was a prostitute? Exactly. <laughs> a prostitute comes in, someone who would have been low in reputation, low in status, looked down on, man, ostracized, marginalized. She begins to, to, to cry on Jesus' feet and to wipe his feet with her hair. And Simon says this to himself. He says, if Jesus knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't let her do that. If he knew what kind of reputation she had. And they began to accuse Jesus of being a friend of sinners, someone whose reputation didn't measure up to a religious leader of that day. You know, if we're going to be a people that pours out, if you're going to be a person that pours out, you're going to have to be willing to get rid of your reputation. You're going to have to be willing to be misunderstood. For people to look at you and say, who, who is that that you're hanging out with? Like how many times, for those of you who follow Jesus, have you thought about inviting someone to a church, to this church, or to speak up about your faith, but you thought to yourself, I don't know what they think of me. 
You're worried about your reputation. And if, if your life is going to have value, you've you got to be willing to give that up. You've got to be willing to, to, to risk your reputation for the sake of the gospel. You see, Jesus, because he poured out, he knew that, that, that his value would stay inside him if he didn't pour it out. He poured his life out because that's what was valuable. Listen, if you would have value, you've got to pour your life out. It, it can't stay in here. It's got to come out. It's got to be poured out for the life of others. It's got to be poured out in every area of your life, in everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say. Jesus' name has to be above everything that we do. So some of you, some of you are dating. And in your life right now, you need to pour out for the person that you're dating. You also need to have high standards to follow the will of God for your life. And so when someone would call you to compromise your belief system or to do things that go against what you believe, the way you pour out your life for them is to point them towards Jesus in your relationship. And it doesn't mean you acquiesce to their demands, but what it does mean is that you hold firm that Jesus is first and that's who you're following because his name is above every name. You know, in, your mar in our marriages, in our families, how do we pour out our lives for our families? You know, there's certain things good that we can do. I can remember probably the best piece of marriage advice I ever got was when I was a young dad. We had one kid, and uh, I can remember coming home and my wife's trying to cook me dinner, and then my daughter's in the high chair, and she's crying. There's Cheerios all over the floor, and I'm like, what is happening right now? Calgon, take me away. And that's what she's thinking. Moms, you feel me on that? And so he told me, I didn't like him when he said this, but he was right. He told me, he says, hey, when you walk in the door, all that, everything you see, everything that you want to happen, that is your responsibility. It's my responsibility for dinner to get cooked. It's my responsibility for my daughter not to cry. It's my responsibility to clean up the Cheerios on the floor. It's my responsibility. Hey, listen, when you begin to think like that, and when I began to think like that, I became an amazing husband to be married to. <laughs> I want to pour out. What does it look like to pour out in carpool for you? As you're driving your kids to school, having some conversations, what does it look like to pour out when you're watching your kids play sports? You think about the things you say when that happens. I've got some regrets in life. It's probably on that basketball court as a parent who was an idiot. The, the things that we expect the things that we think are important that are going to fade away. Like, what does it look like for you to pour out as a friend? What does it look like for you to pour out for your parents or for your brother or sister? What does it look like to serve them? You know, for me, it looks like every morning I get up and I read my Bible and I pray and I say, God, I want this to be your day. I want to be the most effective I can be for your kingdom. I want to be sure that I don't get caught up in all the little things that I can try to find value in. God, that I can find value in the things that you find value in. We have to pour ourselves out for people, no matter what we're entitled to, no matter what our reputation would say, and no matter what religion, what rules we feel like we need to follow. You know, if you were to have this $100 bill, and you were to go to a store, and you would try to buy something, and they were to tell you it's counterfeit, we can't take it, you know whose responsibility that is? It's yours. 
You're not calling Amex and disputing the charge. It's your responsibility. You're the one who has, who has to figure out what happened, where it came from. And guess what? If this is what you got paid with, you didn't really get paid. And the same is true in our lives. That God wants us to have immense value, but, but it's our responsibility. You know, the greatest failure in life is not to be, it's, it's the greatest regret in life and the tragedy is not that we'd fail at what we're doing, but, but that we would actually spend our lives in activities that have no value. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and look at their life and say, I gave it for nothing. And what we see in Scripture is that Jesus is the, he is the cause bigger than ourselves that we've all been looking for. He is of ultimate value. Let's pray together. So God, we recognize that it's so easy to get caught up in things that don't matter, things where our investment won't pay off. And Lord, we all want to be valued. We want to know that we spent our life in a worthy cause and that we left it all in the field. And God, we know that Jesus came and showed ultimate value. And because he poured his life out for us, that we should pour our lives out for others. That it, whatever we keep to ourselves, it won't be valuable. It won't increase, God. It won't, it won't be an investment worth making. That, God, what we pour out into the lives of other people is what's going to matter. And that, God, we'd be a Jesus church. That would be Jesus over everything. That when, when people came here, they would think of not a denomination, not of a service, not of an instrument, but they would think of Jesus. And, God, that when people talked about us in the community, that they would talk about Jesus, the real, authentic, transformational power of Jesus. And I'm just grateful that he showed us a different way not to power up, to pour out. God, that he came for us, humbled himself so that, so that he could understand us, so that we could understand him, we could see him, the image of the invisible God, and know what God is like. Lord, for those here who are experiencing maybe some difficulty, some struggle, maybe they showed up today because their marriage is on the rocks and they didn't even pay attention. That God, today you just speak words of life. And God, they would realize that the power of the name of Jesus is the power that they need in their marriage. Lord, for those who've gotten a bad diagnosis this week from cancer to some other debilitating disease, Father, that you would speak life into them, that you have them in the palm of your hand. God, that you want to care for them and breathe purpose into them and give them strength when they feel like they can't go on. God, for those who need purpose, Lord, for those who just feel like they are wasting their life and don't know what to do, that God, today you would breathe into them things that they need to understand about who you are and how life comes together at the name of Jesus. And God, we just pray in the mighty, matchless, never-ending name of Jesus. Amen.